Over the past few years, there have been a number of growing concerns as data breaches have been significantly increasing. Recently, events such as the Equifax scandal and the discovery that Facebook is selling our data have sparked debate about security and privacy online. Owen, I'm sure you know, Facebook, Google, they can get all the information that they want from your profile. Uh, that includes all the IP addresses that you connected uh, to like a Wi-Fi, uh, your contacts, messages, basically everything about you. You can they can also uh, turn on their uh, turn on your audio recorder and actually listen to you while you're doing that. Today we are joined by Anthony Montez, who is a fellow student and editor at the Vanguard. He, like many of us, have grown up in the digital age and has paid witness to how privacy on the internet has changed. My name is Owen Dimitri, and this is Situational Significance. Today we will be embarking on a two-part episode, with the first part looking at how privacy and our perceptions have changed over the past decade. The main thing I want to focus on today is the consumer's perception of privacy. And you've grown up in the digital age, as have, as have most of us. Or And, and I, well, Owen, I'm a little younger than you, or a little older than you. You're <laughs> a little younger than me. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a millennial, and I'm assuming you're Gen Z. So barely, I, barely, barely. Okay, yeah. Um, so I kind of saw the first uh, iteration of the iPhones, the smartphones, and saw as it evolved. Mm -hmm. And as it evolved, new issues kind of surfaced, right? Yeah. In, in terms of privacy. Um, but I don't want to. I don't want to derail the conversation. But I, I also want to mention a government surveillance mm -hmm. as well. Um, Edward Snowden, as you know, in 2013, um, released the NSA files, yeah. right? And Essentially, we found out that the government was collecting metadata, huge amounts of data that includes like uh, who you called, what time you called them, basically every single text message, every email, everything that you've ever done on a phone was tracked. Moreover, we also were surveilling uh, foreign countries that includes Germany um, and China. So... And I find it a little bit humorous now that uh, I'm not sure if you remember back in, I think, early 2018 or 2019, the Trump administration basically said Huawei, or who, how do you say that? Huawei? Huawei. Huawei. Huawei couldn't, yeah. uh, couldn't do business in the United States anymore because they were concerned that they were collecting data and sending it to the U, to the, the, the China government. Yeah. So I think that's just a little bit of irony right there. A little bit hypocritical. <laughs> no, exactly. And that, that is actually a huge concern is how the government impacts our data. And all this regulation, uh, GDPR, and even... The uh, GDPR is basically... Is the EU. The but California has a version of that as well that mm -hmm. they recently enacted. And all of those only count for companies and how those use your data but it doesn't account for governments and government spying is actually a huge deal and something that is interesting is that a lot of messaging services or people recommend using messaging services which have end-to-end -end encryption so not traditional sms but things like imessage or whatsapp or mm -hmm. stuff along those lines because it is able to prevent well the spying on your messaging Mm -hmm. But it doesn't prevent the spying from those companies, right? You mentioned WhatsApp. WhatsApp. Who owns WhatsApp? Facebook. Facebook. Exactly. So there, there, it's just like a you can have an intersectional conversation about right uh, 
monopolies as mm-hmm. well, right? And uh, some presidential candidates like Elizabeth Warren and uh, Bernie Sanders have, I don't know who else, but they've, they've talked about uh, defining Facebook and Twitter as public utilities, which would uh, basically allow the government to regulate them a little bit more heavy-handedly than they, yeah. than they are now. So for you growing up with the rise of Facebook, Twitter, and these huge social media platforms, how has people's perceptions towards privacy kind of shifted over the past decade or so, especially with them becoming more and more ubiquitous with our daily lives? I'll speak for myself. After 9-11, the attacks on 9-11, the Patriot Act that was signed right afterwards, it was a reactionary piece of legislation that essentially expanded the national security state and the surveillance state in the United States. It basically gave um, the go-ahead to create programs like the NSA and and its surveillance program. What that's done, I think, in my opinion, it's created this 9-11 attacks and that we kind of allowed the government to do that, to start surveilling us, to start infringing on our privacy. We started compromising our privacy for safety, right? And that's like that big ethical question that always comes up when we talk about this. But you know what's interesting is that um, the majority of people are okay with um, infringing their privacy as long as it's serving a public good. And in this case, it is uh, fighting off terror. It was fighting off terrorism, right? Um, Now, how good good faith that that proposition is that's up to debate um yeah so the majority of people yeah they 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 are they they don't mind uh, exchanging um their their freedoms so for you personally what what's your own personal stance on it anytime the security state is illegally mm-hmm. well sorry technically it's not illegal right but i think you want to talk about a matter of principle um and I'm just going to use Kant's uh, universal law of nature. Mm-hmm. Is that what we want moving forward? Is this a precedent that we want moving forward where you don't have any privacy, where everything you do is tracked? No. Personally, I'm more libertarian in that way. I don't want the states in my business. It's not a matter of, oh, well, what are you doing? Like, or what are you hiding? It's, that's not the point. The point is it's a matter of principle. Uh, our country was, well, written, and and we, we were taught that um, we're supposed to fight against tyranny. And we can't fight against tyranny if uh, we're being watched and, you know, we're being um, subject to surveillance on a daily basis. No, that's a very interesting point. Mm-hmm. I feel that the more surveillance there is and there, the more watching it provides uh, the, the people in power to be able to use it for political means. And that raises the ethical and issue of it and and why it's so difficult to moderate is because if the wrong people have it then it can be used in such a way that uh, could be used for more authoritarian ways Mm -hmm. so it's this fine balance that we have to strike and really choose what level uh, we want to at. i know you think that the government is one of the big perpetrators but who else would you consider some of the biggest perpetrators of privacy invasions currently, especially looking at kind of, I guess, third-party companies? Well, speaking of third parties, I mean, the Cambridge Analytica scandal um, back in 2017, I think it was, when we finally found out about that. That was Facebook 
basically there was a security flaw that Cambridge Analytica exploited and was able to um, steal essentially uh, data for hundreds of thousands of people on behalf of the Trump 2020 campaign. So that's a big one. And that's basically, it's it's baked into the Facebook model, mm-hmm. right? The Facebook model says to advertisers, we can provide you with an efficient tool to micro-target your uh, target audience, right? That's, that is their moneymaker. At the end of the day, Facebook is not just a place where you post uh, photos of your family, your dog, whatever. It is a advertising juggernaut. It is credited for basically destroying print journalism, right? Print journalism was funded through ad revenue. Well, sorry. Craigslist, you also have a hand in this. But Facebook ultimately was that final nail in the coffin. Uh, Now you have all these different uh, print journalist uh, periodicals being bought up by by uh, private equity firms mm-hmm. and uh, big conglomerates. Yeah. That's not good for a free press. So, um, like I said, this there's it's a lot. This is an intersectional issue. No, exactly. Mm-hmm. And beyond Facebook, we also need to take a look at Google. Mm-hmm. Google is in so many different parts of our lives, and they rely almost solely on advertising revenue uh, to well keep continue to grow. And both Google and Facebook use algorithms to target ads and they track you across and the issue especially on facebook side of thing is this targeted uh, algorithm is that it can very much lead to echo chambers online and this Mm -hmm. isn't only limited to facebook but it's twitter reddit all of these discussion forums which use these algorithms to better well target ads that way they can make more money but it then has this added side effect of creating these echo chambers which leads to such issues such as uh, the anti-vax movement um, uh, stuff that has well happened with uh, people wanting to vote for certain political candidates so be it Trump Bernie Sanders Elizabeth Warren Pete Buttigieg all of these people are then put with like-minded people so yeah, like, I, I'm in a I'm in a leftist bubble. Yeah, definitely. I'm a Bernie Sanders supporter. I don't mind saying that, but I I know my feed is curated for my leftist politics. Yeah. I know that. I'm aware of that. Most people aren't. Most people don't consume media in a very active way like that. It's usually pretty reflexive. They don't think about it. Mm-hmm. These algorithms aren't meant to show users what they ought to see. These algorithms show people something that will engage them. And then they, they will engage with the content and they will stay engaged. Because what you what they're doing is they want to keep you engaged. They want to keep you on that website. They want to keep you on Facebook. They want to keep you going on autoplay in YouTube so you can consume those ads and make, so they can make that money. What I'm interested to see, so GDPR is still relatively new regulation. For people who don't know what the GDPR, the GDPR is um, the general data protection um what's the r stand for regulation yeah, yeah regulation one time so for people who don't know what the gdpr is this is an eu uh policy uh gdpr stands for the general data uh privacy regulation so what it does broadly speaking it uh forces companies to let you know um uh what kind of data they're collecting 
Um, that includes uh, things like the identity of a person, um, uh, real names, screen names, identification numbers, birth date, location data, IP addresses, device IDs, physical, physiological, genetic, mental, uh, commercial, cultural, or societal identity of a person. So this is very broad. Like this is very broad and expansive. I'm very into it, okay? I'm very much a proponent of, uh, of a GDPR style regulations um, on online. Uh, Representative Rokana, he is a congressman in uh, California. He has uh, an internet bill of rights. He was asked by uh, Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi to draw these up. And it's basically six principles. The principles are, you have a right to universal web access, right? Uh, Rokana is also a proponent of uh, public broadband, mm -hmm. right? One of the things in the early 20th century was we created the Tennessee Valley Authority, and we were able to provide electricity to rural areas uh, where you know farmers didn't have that kind of infrastructure. That same thing is happening now in the 21st century with uh, being able to access the web, right? So what that means is every single home will have access to the internet. It's, it's crucial also for uh, kids who are going to school because a lot of our, uh, the way we teach now, the way we educate is evolving and it requires a lot of online uh, tools and using a computer and being able to be uh, tech savvy. Uh, the next thing is right to net neutrality. As we know, net neutrality is, well, it's not around anymore. Um, uh, the next thing is uh, a right to be free from warrantless metadata collection, right? I was talking about the NSA spying. So this this uh, this Internet Bill of Rights would say NSA can't do that. No government entity, no, no uh, private corporation can collect uh, metadata. Okay. Uh, the next thing would be a right to disclose the amount of nature and dates of secret government data requests. Once again, uh, the next would be right to be a fully formed of scope of data use, which, uh, as we see on the GDPR, it's totally possible. And that's something that uh, I would like to look at and maybe um, mimic here in the United mm -hmm. States. And then the next thing is right to be informed when there is change of control over data. So this is uh, very basic principles that I think we need to uh, apply here in the United States the way they have in, uh, in the EU. Yeah, it, I, that's my first time hearing about those, and I, I completely agree with all of them. Uh, net neutrality is, well, when I say a hotly contested topic, mm -hmm. what I mean is that everyone I've ever spoken to wants it. it it's freedom of using the Internet. And... Speaking of net neutrality, GDPR's impact on U.S. companies for uh, EU users. So something, when GDPR was implemented, what happened is that either a lot of companies either chose not to provide their services to EU citizens anymore, or just to delete loads of data instead of making it comply with GDPR regulations. So some companies did that, but around 1,000 news publications have since stopped allowing EU citizens to access their sites because otherwise it wouldn't comply with GDPR. So some of these is like the Boston Globe, LA Times, that just won't allow EU citizens to access any of their sites. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's not perfect. And like, like I said, a lot of these companies, uh, they're predicated on being able to collect this mm -hmm. data and turn around and sell it. When you can't do that, that you're, that's a big part of the business model, right? And another thing about the the EU's GDPR is, a, if you want if you want access to that market, you're going to have to adopt adopt those policies. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And uh, that could be tougher for some industries. Yeah. So just to kind of 
close this out here. The final thing I want to talk about is Apple. Apple's interesting right now. So Apple has been touting themselves recently in the wake of uh, Google and Facebook being outed as huge data hoarders as your data is your data. We won't share it or anything else like that. And I don't know whether it's marketing or anything else like that, but what's really interesting with Apple is that Tim Cook, the CEO, mm -hmm. is now uh, part of the board of directors of one of the most prestigious Chinese business schools. And I wouldn't say hypocritical, but it's an interesting take, the fact that Apple is touting, oh yes, your, your data is your data. We're gonna secure your privacy. Granted, they do have actually pretty good security. I mean, but that being said, that doesn't include third-party companies who they might sell it to. I, I'm not trying to demean any of the companies or anything, but it, it is something we should be aware of. And especially for, I guess, our two generations with them being so unaware and uncaring about privacy, this is something we should start to consider when we're making purchases of devices mm -hmm. is how, does, how do they respect your data and how do they respect the security of your accounts? Because accounts can hold very important personal information. I mean, and moreover, uh, aside from being a conscientious consumer, right, mm -hmm. and doing that and shopping around for the best uh, devices with the best privacy policies, being a citizen and going state to state and pushing uh, laws like the ones in California and at the in the UA, in the EU, pardon me, um, if we do that state by state by state by state, I mean, it'll be... Uh, an ember and that thing will catch and all across the country will have these types of data protections at the state level. So one, good consumer, two, a good citizen. So that's what we can do as, as, uh, as people. Thank you so much for joining me today, Anthony. It was an absolute pleasure chatting with you. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Next week, we will be revisiting cinema, how we define it and how it is evolving. This has been Situational Significance.